Now shall we come to our study, and if you have your Bible now, turn to the 13th chapter of First Chronicles. We'll look at that here at this time. Now, let me say again, we're talking about David. Last time we saw David's mighty man in chapters 11 and 12. Now we have David and the ark, verses 13 through 16, and we'll be able to cover a couple of chapters, I trust. Now we have a background for what is taking place. This is God's viewpoint of David's first attempt to bring the ark to Jerusalem. And God took note of that because of the fact that this was the thing that pleased God, that David put an emphasis on this. You see, God didn't just always commend him in the victories that he had in war. God commended him for being interested in spiritual matters. That was the most important thing. Now we start off on the wrong foot in verse 1 of chapter 13. And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. Now, David's a new king, and he's come to the throne. He has tremendous plans. He has a great vision, and he wants to bring the ark up. And so he's consulting all of these. Well, the very interesting thing is, I think David made a mistake in consulting all these. I don't think that he should have. God was giving him leading and guiding and direction, and he didn't need to consult all of these at all. I think today that we are finding that there's a serious problem that's evolving in many churches today. There are too many men that want to have their finger in the pie. That is, they want to make decisions, especially the boards of churches today. And many of those men are not spiritually equipped to make a decision. And they often hand in a wrong decision that hurts the cause of Christ. May I say that's a great problem today. And I think David made a mistake to consult with these. And he got him in trouble, at least, by listening to everybody. Now, verse 2, David said unto all the congregation of Israel, If it seem good unto you and that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them also to the priests and Levites, which are in their citizen suburban areas, that they may gather themselves unto us. And let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we inquired not at all in the days of Saul. Now, this is a sidelight on the days of Saul. During that period, the worship of God in the tabernacle was entirely omitted. In fact, it was neglected. And as a result, the organization was all broken up. The Levites were scattered. And, of course, the enemy had done a great deal to accomplish that fact. Now, word is sent out throughout the entire land that they come together in order that they might bring up the ark. But now this man is going to make a big mistake in the way that he does it. And as someone has put it, this is doing a right thing in a wrong way. It was right to bring the ark up to Jerusalem, but not the way he did it. Now notice, and all the congregations said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. That's verse 4. Now, how about the Lord, though? What do you think about it? Well, it was right to bring it up, but not the way he did. So David gathered all Israel together from Shihor of Egypt, even unto the entering of Hamath, to bring the ark of God from Kerjif jerim Now, you'll recall back in First Samuel, why we saw that the ark was taken there and had been left there because of the fact that They'd had a bad experience with it, which belonged to Judah, to bring up thence the ark of God the Lord that dwelleth between the cherubims, whose name is called on it. Now, God didn't dwell in the ark. It was between the cherubims, you see. Actually, no physical place at all. 
And they carried the ark of God in a new cart out of the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio drave the cart. Now, here's where they made their big mistake. God said that the ark was to be carried on the shoulders of the priests. Never was it to be carried on a wagon. That is something that they needed to pay attention to. Listen to what God had said through Moses back in Numbers 4.15. And when Aaron and his sons have made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary, as the camp is to set forward, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to bear it, but they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. Now, the sons of Kohath were to carry the ark on their shoulders. Never on a wagon. Now, why? Well, that ark speaks of Christ. And he today is to be carried by individuals. Did you know what an undertaking it is to get the gospel out? Now, let me just illustrate. And this is just a very small illustration. Do you know what's back of this operation? You today are listening to the program. You say, well, all you're doing is just getting up there talking. That's all. And that's all. But back of that is a great deal of preparation. You'd be surprised the amount of time I spend in preparation. And back of that is a staff here at radio headquarters. Some very wonderful folk. And you'd be surprised the work that goes in to keep this Ministry rolling, keeping it moving, keeping it going out on the air. I wish there was some little push button that I could push and you'd all hear it. I've often wondered, here in Southern California, wouldn't it be nice if the Lord would just ride it in the sky? I know at a rose parade, I looked up and they were riding something about, I think it was Coca-Cola or Chevrolet maybe it was, or whatever it was. Everybody saw it, that several million people. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be wonderful if you could just put the gospel up there and give it out that way? No, may I say to you, Christ is carried on the shoulders of his people, not on a wagon. And a lot of people want to do it easy. My friend today, it's going to require work to get the word of God out. And a great many people say, oh, the expense. I deplore expense myself. But I want to tell you, that's the only way today is to get it out. And let's get it out. And we can't put it on a wagon. We're going to have to carry it. Each one needs to shoulder his pack to carry it out. And that's what Paul meant when he said, everyone must bear his own burden. Someone has translated that. Everyone must shoulder his own pack. You've got to put your shoulder to the wheel, friends, to get the Word of God out. Now, this is something that may seem slight, but the important thing is that you can't carry it on a cart. And we're told here in verse 8, And David and all Israel played before God with all their might, with singing and with harps, with psalteries, with timbrels, with cymbals, with trumpets. David is a great musician. And believe me, this was occasion of real joy. But it was all interrupted. Why? Well, because they're doing it wrong. They're not giving the right testimony. Verse 9, And when they came unto the threshing floor of Chidon, and that was Nacon back in the book of Second Samuel, it's all the same, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. He smote him because he put his hand to the ark, and there he died before God. Now, somebody said, well, this is certainly a severe sort of thing. Man just put his hand there. Well, may I say to you, to begin with, the ark shouldn't have been on that cart. And you don't need us to study it. You see, there are a lot of folk today that are putting their hands in the Lord's work where they ought not to put their hands. They're interfering with the Lord's work. I wish today that I was privileged or could take the time and tell you about the many instances I've seen where men probably meant well, but they're not doing it God's way. And as a result, 
Why, may I say to you that God intervenes there, and blessing does not come. And so in this particular case, well, this man is put out of the way. Now, David was displeased by it. He's displeased just as much as you would be, and as much as the critic is today, because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. Wherefore, that place is called Perizazah to this day. It was the breach of Uzzah. And David was afraid of God that day, saying, How shall I bring the ark of God home to me? And how often that we attempt to do the thing our own way. And then when we fail, we blame it on God. How am I going to do this for the Lord? Well, do it God's way. Turn it over to Him. And that's what he finally had to do. And the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. Now, let's look at chapter 14, because we're through with this. The ark's not going to be brought up at this time. And God is blessing the family that has it now, but David's going to turn his attention to something else. And this is what he wanted to do was bring the ark to Jerusalem. Now notice, chapter 14, now verse 1. Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and timber of cedars and masons and carpets to build him a house. David and Hiram, king of Tyre, were great friends. Hiram loved David. David was a man greatly beloved. And this man wanted to help him build his house, build a palace. And David perceived that the Lord had confirmed him king over Israel, for his kingdom was lifted up on high because of his people Israel. And David took more wives at Jerusalem, and David begat more sons and daughters. This is what got him in trouble. Now, somebody says, well, God permitted this? Or God apparently approved this? No, God didn't approve it. God disproved of it. In fact, this is going to be David's big problem. And it's going to bring judgment upon him. And it's going to bring sorrow to him the rest of his life. This is wrong. But this is what he did. This record is not given to us because God approved it. This is given to us because this is actually what happened. This is history we're looking at. And if you follow the history, you find out God's attitude. God judged him. Now, David's going out against the Philistines. Verse 9. The Philistines came and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of God, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines, and wilt thou deliver them into mine hand? And the Lord said unto him, Go up, for I will deliver them into thine hand. So they came up to Baal-perazim, and David smote them there. David said, God hath broken in upon mine enemies, by mine hand, like the breaking forth of waters. Therefore they call the name of that place Baal-perazim. And when they had left their gods there, David gave a commandment, and they were burned with fire. Now, this was a great victory for David over the Philistines. They hadn't had many victories over these people. Now we read, And the Philistines yet again spread themselves abroad in the valley. Therefore David inquired again of God and said unto him, Go not up after them, turn away from them, and come upon them over against the mulberry trees. In other words, you retreat and draw the enemy into the place where it'll be a better place for battle. I believe today that there are a great many Christians that actually they tempt the Lord. They don't trust him, they tempt. They enter into some sort of a business, or they enter into some sort of an arrangement, or they attempt to do something, or, as the old bromide has it, they bite off more than they can chew, and they say they're trusting the Lord. Well, how do you know the Lord told you to do it that way? Now, one time David went out, fought against the Philistines. God gave him the victory. Now, David, on that basis, could say, well, here are the Philistines that have come against me again. Here's another crowd of them back. I'll go out against them. God says, don't do it. That's not the way to do it this time. Don't do anything foolish. Now, you draw them. You retreat. And you draw them to the mulberry trees. Then you're going to have a fine opportunity to fight them there. 
Now, God wants you and me to use sanctified common sense. It's not the faith always that you see exhibited today of people doing a great many things. Now, I've seen folk that made shipwreck of faith because of that. I know that there was a dear lady that came to the church I served here in Pasadena years ago. And she said, oh, Dr. McGee, you're so wrong. God's going to heal me. And you think I ought not to go to this faith healer. I'm going to him, and I'll be healed. And she went, and she was not healed, (laughs) because there are a lot of them that are not healed. And she was not healed. She couldn't understand it. I went over to see her. She said, I can't understand it. I thought, God is going to heal me. You know, it made shipwreck of that woman's faith. She got to the place where she turned her back upon God. She said, he let me down. No, he didn't. (laughs) He doesn't want you to do something very foolish. He wants you to use good old sanctified common sense. Maybe she should have gone to the doctor. And it eventuated finally in her death, by the way. May I say to you, we need to trust the Lord, yes. But sometimes he wants you to go out and do battle, and again, he wants you to withdraw. Now, notice this, verse 15, And it shall be when thou shalt hear a sound of going in the tops of the mulberry trees, that then thou shalt go out to battle. For God is gone forth before thee to smite the host of the Philistines. That's a wonderful thing. And I want to be very frank with you. A friend of mine came to me to tell me about a, well, he's a minister, about a church he was going to. And I know something about the church. I advised him not to go. And he said, why not? I said, you better wait till you hear the sound going through those mulberry trees before you go there. That's the important thing. There are many times that you and I need to wait on the Lord for that sound of going through the mulberry trees. This business of stepping out on faith may not be faith at all, just foolishness. Not trusting God, it's tempting God. Now, verse 16, David therefore did as God commanded him. They smote the host of the Philistines from Gibeon even to Gezer. And the fame of David went out into all the lands, and the Lord brought the fear of him upon all nations. Now, that's my reason for saying the other day that David was one of the great world leaders and his kingdom was one of the great world kingdoms at this particular time. And God was with this man. That little nation in that place there became a great world power. Somebody said, I don't understand it. Well, I think it's, in this case, is miraculous. But had you ever stopped to think that In many instances of that, Venice, the city of Venice, at one time, was a great world ruler, just a city. Now, here's a very small nation, but God now is moving in this, and he's brought this man to world prominence. Now, that is certainly true in this section here. Here we have these chapters, chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16 given over. David and the ark, that is, of bringing the ark up to Jerusalem to the place that David had chosen. Now, that is something that is quite interesting, by the way, because it could well be given to us some of the state business, some of the many decisions that David made, probably treaties that he made with his enemies, probably an emphasis on war and probably an emphasis on certain state function. It could have been given to us very much like one of the TV newscasts given to us today. You know, they give everything today that is not really important. They give the unimportant today, and we get propaganda. It's rather refreshing. I hope that you get that to get God's viewpoint. I'd love to know God's viewpoint of the news today. And this is the book that will help me get God's viewpoint. Where is God putting emphasis today? Not where CBS or NBC or ABC or XYZ is putting the emphasis. Where does God put the emphasis? 
And it's well to have a couple of books like this, and that's what makes them important. Now, God put the emphasis on bringing the ark, this that was the very heart and center of the worship of these people, that which God had given to them. Now, there's another question arises, what had happened to the tabernacle? You want to know my firm conviction is it worn out. After all, it was a tent, and most of it was covering, and all that apparently was worn out by now. And apparently the golden boards that were there and the brazen pillars and silver bases, they're all gone because the enemies, I guess, took those off. I guess the Philistines got them. But that wasn't the important thing. The important thing was the ark. That's where God met these people, and above the ark was the mercy seat. And that is the important thing today. The most important thing for you and for me is to have a place where we can receive mercy from God. And that's what we need today. We all need God's mercy. And God's prepared to extend mercy, but he has a mercy seat today. Christ, we're told, he is the propitiation. Big word, but all it means is mercy seat. He's the mercy seat for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Now, that's important to God. And it's not what you hear on TV today that's really important. And it's not the decisions made in Washington. I wouldn't belittle those, but the important decisions are God's decisions. And after all, I suppose it was pretty busy in the staff and in the palace of Napoleon in Paris. And I suppose that that was very important. But, you know, all that you got there today is a museum. They're not making many decisions today. It's not very important. And Versailles, my, how beautiful it is and how important it was. And there have been great decisions made there in the past. It's just a place, just a showcase today, something to look at. That's all that it is. It might have been well to have known what God thought was important. Now, it's important to see that God is interested in this mercy seat. Now, we saw last time that David attempted to bring the ark up the wrong way. It was the proper thing to bring the ark to Jerusalem. Not only had David chosen Jerusalem and the place, but God had chosen that place. And therefore, it's important to bring the ark up to Jerusalem. But he did it the wrong way. God had given instruction. In the book of Numbers, we saw last time that the ark was to be carried on the shoulders of the Kohathites, of the family of Levi, the priests. They were to carry the ark. And that was the way it was to be done. That ark represents Christ. That ark with the mercy seat on it speaks of the gospel today. And it's to be carried on human shoulders. It's to be carried today. And my friend, getting out the word of God today is not easy. This idea that it's sort of a picnic. A great many people think church work, that is, if it's the right kind, is, you know, something very delightful. Well, the delightful part is that you're doing his will because you love him. And that always makes it a thrilling experience. But it's not easy to get out the Word of God. And I would say to you today, Christian friend, if you're having it easy, something wrong. That's the most disturbing thing for any Christian is not when trouble comes to him or the storm comes, but the most disturbing point in his life is when the storm quits blowing and there's a calm and he's feeling good and everything seems to be going right. That's the moment to watch out for. Because if you're in the business of getting the Word of God out, it's something that's not very easy to do. Now, will you notice that it has to be done by God's people and it has to be done God's way. And the Word of God Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. God's only blessing is word today. And Paul went on to say, he said, they've got to hear. And how are they going to hear without a preacher? And the 
preaching of the cross as foolishness to them that perish. It's not foolishness. It's the wisdom of God. But that's the way that God wants it done. And there is today a sight around us. We are seeing a world today that's turned to drugs. We see the restlessness that's about us today. A church having departed from the Word of God is in as much disarray as any other. Theology and the great background of both Roman Catholicism and Protestantism today is a shambles, friend. Why? Because they both got away from the Word of God. And as a result, why, they're not doing it God's way. I believe that today, friend, the most important matter is to get the ark of God on the move. That's to get the gospel going out. That's to get the word of God moving today. And that's the important thing. Great many think it's unimportant. Now, I've spent a little time there because this is where God puts the emphasis. Now, David's had a chance to think it over, pray about it, and to get some accurate information find out what the mind of the Lord is. So what's he going to do? Well, we'll get our foot in the door of chapter 15. And David made him houses in the city of David and prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched for it a tent. Well, it always been in a tent. So David now wants to bring the ark up. Listen to David now. Then David said, None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. Now, David straightened out now. Before, you could put the ark on a cart, but that wasn't God's method. God had given strict orders of how the ark is to be brought out. And now David is preaching a good sermon on that. He's learned by a sad experience. Now he's going to bring the ark up to Jerusalem. And this is going to be doing a right thing in a right way. Before, it was doing a right thing in a wrong way. Now, here in chapter 15, David's going to do it the right way. And the question is, David, why didn't you do that at first? Why did you have to have the sad experience that you did? Well, that's the way most of us learn. It's easy to hindsight. It's better than foresight, they say, is the old cliche and the old bromide. Well... It's easier for me to go back in and say, David, you did it wrong. And why didn't you do it right at first? And then McGee turns right around, and the next step I take, I do it wrong. And then I have to learn that you have to do it God's way. May I say to you, that's the experience of most of us. Now, David is prepared to do it God's way. Verse 3, And David gathered all Israel together to Jerusalem, to bring up the ark of the Lord unto his place, which he'd prepared for it. Do you remember in days gone by that when America faced a crisis, there was always a day of prayer called for? <laughs> My friends, that belongs to the dark ages. We don't do that today. We just get together the brain trust in Washington, and they're going to solve the problem. And the only thing is, we have learned that the brain trusts were as foolish as little children in decisions they've made in the past. That is the tragedy of America in this dark hour in which we're living. Oh, my friend, today, I think it would be very important to gather all Israel together to bring up the ark of the Lord. David thought that is important, and God thought that was important, and that's what God put in Chronicles his viewpoint. Now he gives the list of these who brought it up, sons of Kohath. Verse 12, And he said unto them, Ye are the chief of the fathers of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves both ye and your brethren, that ye may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel unto the place that I prepared for it. And David had prepared a place for it. I'm not sure where that place was exactly. Was it the field at this time of Arauna, the threshing floor? I'm of the opinion that it was, but I don't want to be dogmatic about that, because later on he bought that place as being the place the temple is to be built. 
Now, that's Mount Moriah where Abraham offered Isaac. That same ridge that is called Mount Moriah that went right down through Jerusalem, beginning at the temple area, it went right over to where Golgotha is, and Christ was crucified on that. And so this spot, apparently, that was picked here. Now, will you notice, verse 13, "...for because he did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us, for that we sought him not after the due order." Now, David, very frankly, now confesses he blamed God at first, you will recall. He thought God was wrong in taking the life of Isaiah. Then he discovered, we've done this thing wrong. You've got to do it God's way. Now he confesses that. So the priests and the Levites, this is verse 14, sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. Have you noticed the repetition of that expression, the ark of God? The ark of the Lord God of Israel, the ark, the ark, the ark. Well, here it is again and again and again. And you do get the impression that the Lord's talking about the ark, by the way. It's very important to him. Now we are told, verse 15, "...and the children of the Levites bear the ark of God upon their shoulders with the staves thereon, as Moses commanded according to the word of the Lord." That is back as we saw in the fourth chapter of Numbers. He was not doing it God's way. Now, we are told here, David was a musician, and he wanted music with all of this. And it's nice when it's the right kind of musicians and the right kind of music. And so here, he appointed the singers with the instruments of music and the psalters and the harps and the cymbals, sounding by lifting up the voice with joy. My, I tell you, they had the brass band out there that day. They had the symphony orchestra, and it was a great occasion. Now, this was the high point in David's coming into Jerusalem. It wasn't the capture of the city. God doesn't record that here. And it wasn't the great building project that's emphasized. It's the emphasis upon the spiritual. That is where God is putting the emphasis And I hope we get the message here. Now we read in verse 25, So David and the elders of Israel and the captains over thousands went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the house of Obed-Edom with joy. Oh, this was a great day. And it came to pass when God helped the Levites that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord that they offered seven bullocks and seven rams. All of these sacrifices pointing to Christ. Verse 28, "...thus all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting and with sound of the cornet and with trumpets, with cymbals, making a noise with psalteries and harps." I have always, in every church I served, always wanted a big orchestra. (laughs) I never did have one my entire ministry. I guess the Lord just didn't want me to have one. But I believe that one of the reasons the church service is so dead today and the reason that the world's passed it by, you take a look at people going to any church today and see if they look happy, see if there's joy in their life. My friend, I was looking at a newscast and it showed the crowd at a baseball game. And I want to say, I didn't see a sad face in the lot. Even those losing didn't seem to be sad. They seemed to be having a good time. And the tragedy of the hour is God's people don't seem to be having a good time. We ought to. Oh, I tell you, the world in that day heard about David bringing up the ark to Jerusalem. You know why? Why, the visitors that were there went throughout the then known world and said, Say, you should have been at Jerusalem. That was a great day, a great day. Have you noticed that there's nothing today on news, there's nothing that gets the front page today that reveals that which is spiritual and the joy of the Lord? Oh, if it's a freak sort of thing, if it's an oddball in religion, if it's some religious nut, they put him on or put them on. But my friend today, that which is spiritual and that which is joyful 
has disappeared from the life of America. And that's when we began to die, by the way. Now, not everybody was in accord with David. Verse 29, "...came to pass as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came to the city of David, that Michael, the daughter of Saul, looking out at the window, saw King David dancing and playing. She despised him in her heart." She says he's a religious fanatic. He is one that's showing a little interest and enthusiasm, and he's got joy in his heart in serving the Lord. Why, we need a little more of that today. And I don't mean that which is worked up psychologically by a crowd. I mean that which the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in the heart and life today. It does not have to be fanaticism, but we do need that underlying river of joy flowing through the hearts and lives of God's people. That's the great message in this chapter here. Now, David, in chapter 16, he brings up the ark, and let me read verse 1. So they brought the ark of God, and they set it in the midst of the tent that David had pitched for it, and they offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings before God. And when David had made an end of offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. And he dealt to every one of Israel, both man and woman, to every one a loaf of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. I think this is a remarkable passage of Scripture, by the way. They brought up the ark. It was occasion of a great joy on the part of the people. Then there was offered burnt sacrifices. Now, those of you that have been with us a long time in the Through the Bible program know that the burnt offering speaks of the person of Christ. And it's actually what God sees in Christ. The burnt offering, Olamit, ascended to God. And then that peace offering. That peace offering speaks of the fact that Christ made peace by the blood of his cross. And everything is right between us and God when we come through Christ and come God's way. And now this is the great message that's given when they come up to Jerusalem, an exaltation of the person of Christ and of the fact that he shed his blood. My, here's the gospel right here. Now, David is a musician, as we said. Listen to him. He appointed certain of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord and to record and to thank and to praise the Lord God of Israel. My, we today need to get so involved in the Word of God that we do get worked up. Anyone that goes to a baseball game gets worked up, or a football game, why, they call them a fan. But you get worked up about religion, you're a fanatic. And we need today, not fanatics, but we do need those to get involved in the Word of God to the place where they feel like thanking and praising the Lord God. And here, David had this organized. Asaph was the chief, and next to him, Zechariah, and then the whole list of My, what a group of musicians he had there. Now, we have this glorious psalm of thanksgiving here. Verse 7, Then on that day David delivered first this psalm to thank the Lord into the hand of Asaph and his brethren. And this is one of David's psalms, and we'll get to it again for Psalm 105. Give thanks unto the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people, sing unto him, sing psalms unto him, talk ye of all his wondrous works. Friends, today, if we don't begin to talk about God, get his word out, and begin to get the word of God out, why, we've got today, unfortunately, many Christians that know more about the things advertised on TV than they do about the Word of God. And there are preachers that know more about the Cubs and the Dodgers and the angels than they know about the angels in the Bible, and more than they know about the Bible. Today, we have put before us in this computerized age, and we're all being pressed in a little compartment. My Christian friend today, for God's sake, get in the Word of God and find out what the liberty is in Christ. We're talking so much about freedom of speech. 
But who's talking about God today? There's no freedom for him today. And there's no way getting his word out to the people. It is just mishmash today. It's just higgly-piggly stuff that's being given to the public. And no wonder a nation and no wonder the world is in the mess that it's in today. I tell you, they're praising God back there and God bless. May I say to you, David is rejoicing. And we began this wonderful psalm of thanksgiving. And let me just lift some of the verses out, beginning with verse 8. Now notice it. He says here, Give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. That's something that needs to be known. I read a letter. Here's a person that's been brought up in the church, apparently in a liberal church, and the Bible is practically meaningless to that individual. I say that's tragic today. And then here's a group that have come in and I think definitely been converted. And for a time, they went out on a jag. They went out on the tongues movement. I'm not going to criticize them for that. They thought that was the way to go. Now they've settled down to the study of the Word of God. And both the one that had been in a liberal church and these that had been in probably the fanatic fringe, they now have settled down to study the Word of God. Now that's the place of blessing. Give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. God has been moving in the past. He's moving today, I think. And I think that his hand can be seen in the affairs of the world today. And he's not through with this little world. Now notice verse 9. Sing unto him. Sing psalms unto him. Talk ye of all his wondrous works. Now I can't sing. And David made it clear for fellows like me and maybe some of you that can't sing. He says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And actually, I don't sing in public at all. Well, I don't sing. But when I get in the car by myself, a lot of times I drive a great deal to meetings around and conferences. And so I just sat out with it. Doesn't sound good. Doesn't even sound good to me. But I like to praise God. Talk ye of all his wondrous works. Glory ye in his holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Draw nigh to God. He'll draw nigh to you. Now, in salvation, all you've got to do is to come his way, trust Christ as your Savior, and you'll be saved. But that doesn't ensure you're going to have fellowship. You have to follow through. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. When you got up this morning, what was the first thing you thought about? When you go to bed at night, what's the last thing you think about? You think about God. Of all during the day, do you just leave him behind when you go to work or to school or to some other place? You leave him outside at the social gatherings. Remember his marvelous works that he hath done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. We were out in the Hawaiian Islands, and one evening there was a glorious sunset. And there are many of them out there. And there are glorious sunsets, I think, everywhere. And I called attention to it. And I said, my, look at that. I said, look at how God has done that. Anything God does, he does it in a big way. He had plenty of light, a great big old sun, big old sky, and the mountains there. So he just put color in that and let the sun go down just so you'd enjoy it. And David says, let's call attention to it. Call attention to the sunset. Call attention to the creation. Call attention to what God does. Verse 12, remember his marvelous works that he hath done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. Verse 13, O ye seed of Israel, his servant, ye children of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. And I think that he's making judgments today. His hands are 
moving in the affairs of men. Oh, I know Satan is the god of this world today. God's given him a certain amount of rope today, and he's going to be turned loose in the great tribulation period. But that doesn't mean that God's not going to finally close in, because he is the god of judgment. Will you listen? Verse 15, Be ye mindful always of his covenant, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations, even of the covenant which he made with Abraham and of his oath unto Isaac. Now, there are great many today that like to minimize the covenant God made with Abraham. David's not minimizing that covenant. David says, let's talk about it. He made a covenant with Abraham. And he confirmed that covenant with Isaac. He took an oath. He said, I'm going to do this thing. Now, David said, let's talk about that. God's made covenants. And those covenants are important today. God made a covenant with Abraham. He hasn't gone back on it. God said, I'm going to give to you and your offspring this land. And God's going to do it. I don't think that means they go in there and take it all over today. But I do mean... And when they get it from the hand of God, they won't need to fear the Egyptians or the Arabs or Russia. They won't need to fear anybody because every man's going to dwell there under his vine, under his fig tree in peace. And that means you'll own your own property. God will let them own their own property. It'll all belong to God just as it does today. But God is giving it to them. And he's made over to us so many spiritual blessings today. Now, let's move on here. What was that covenant? Well, verse 17, He hath confirmed the same to Jacob for a law and to Israel for an everlasting covenant. It wasn't made for just that day. Listen to him. Now, David understood that God made a covenant with Abraham about that land was going to give it to him. Listen to the verse 18, saying, "...under thee will I give the land of Canaan the lot of your inheritance." when you were but a few, even a few, and strangers in it. And when they went from nation to nation, from kingdom to kingdom to another people, he suffered no man to do them wrong. Yea, he reproved kings for their sake, saying, Touch not mine anointed, and do my prophets no harm. The interesting thing is, I must confess that today... You can get by with a great deal. I think one of the reasons that today a great many people are getting by with persecuting Christians, and they do it in a nice way in this country. They merely gossip about them, circulate false report and all that. Why are they getting by with it? Well, they're actually not getting by with it. God's already said, touch not mine anointed, and do my prophets no harm. Keep your hands off of God's Word. And that's one of the reasons that today I'm very strict on doctrine. A great many people wonder why certain groups that I disagree with, why they have me, they even hold conferences. Well, because of the fact, friends, I believe that God's moving in their midst, and they hold to the integrity of the Word of God and the deity of Christ. And I must say, I'm not going to touch God's anointed. I'm not going to touch his work, because I believe that today we need to be very careful. And, my friend, you better be very careful in your church today. What you are doing, are you hurting and harming the work of God? Are you helping it on? That's important. This is in the psalm here. Listen to it. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Show forth from day to day his salvation. Now, there's a day coming. And all creation, it's today groaning in pain, someday waiting for the redemption of the sons of God. And then creation will be released. And friends, you're going to hear music the like of which you've never heard before. Listen to verse 24. Declare his glory among the heathen, his marvelous works among all nations. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised he also is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the people are idols. And that means they're nothing. They're just a piece of wood, a piece of stone, a piece of metal. And is it vegetable, mineral, or what have you? Is that your God? All the gods of the people are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. 
Glory and honor are in his presence. Strength and gladness are in his place. Give unto the Lord, ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. It does mean a beautiful church. I love those too. But it means the beauty of holiness. Oh, today, most of us don't even know what it is to worship God. And even right now, reading this psalm, don't you just really feel like saying a little amen? And maybe just say glory to God or praise the Lord, not just as some little Christian cliche, but something that's meaningful. Oh, how wonderful this is. Fear before him all the earth. The world also shall be stable, that it be not moved. Let the heavens be glad, and let the earth rejoice, and let men say among the nations, The Lord reigneth. A day's coming. Let the sea roar, and the fullness thereof. Let the fields rejoice, and all that is therein. Then shall the trees of the woods sing out at the presence of the Lord, because he cometh to judge the earth. Trees are going to sing. I'm waiting for that day. Somebody says, how do you think they'll sing? I don't know. But when we get to that day, you and I both will know. Verse 34, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endureth forever. God is not short on mercy. <laughs> and that's what I need. I imagine that's what you need. He has plenty of it. Why don't you go to him? What do you need today? Go to him. Verse 35, And say ye, Save us, O God of our salvation, and gather us together, deliver us from the heathen, that we may give thanks to thy holy name and glory in thy praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel forever and ever. And all the people said, Amen, and they praised the Lord. This is wonderful, friends. I've just touched the surface here. We've just stood on the fringe of this marvelous psalm here today. Now let me move on. Verse 37, So he left there before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, Asaph and his brethren, to minister before the ark continually, as every day's work required. And Obed-Edom with their brethren, threescore and eight, Obed-Edom also the son of Jethun and Hosah, to be porters, and Zadok the priest, and his brethren the priests, before the tabernacle of the Lord in the high place that was at Gibeon. Now, I do not know who his secretary of state was, or his secretary of the treasure, or the representative at the United Nations. But I do know who the ones were that took care of the ark, and that worship before God, and carried on the spiritual matters of his kingdom. Verse 40, To offer burnt offerings unto the Lord upon the altar, the burnt offering continually, morning and evening, and to do according to all that's written in the law of the Lord, which he commanded Israel. They kept the way open to God. And with them Heman and Jeduthun, and the rest that were chosen, who were expressed by name to give thanks to the Lord, because his mercy endureth forever. That's the reason you to give thanks to God. His mercy endureth forever. Now, this is a great section. Here's where God put the emphasis. Now, we turn to the other aspect here in chapter 17, and you have David in the temple now. Because, you see, that ark is out there just in a flapping tent. Actually, the old tabernacle is probably worn out. They just put it in a tent there. It's temporary. Now, notice what we have here in chapter 17. Now, we've been over this in Second Samuel 7. Now, it came to pass, as David sat in his house, that David said to Nathan the prophet, Lo, I dwell in a house of cedars, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord remaineth under curtains. Then Nathan said unto David, Do all that's in thine heart, for God is with thee. Now, I am... Very sympathetic with Nathan. He did what he thought was the right thing. But here's a case where a prophet of God is wrong. David said, I want to build God a house. I'm dwelling here in this lovely palace, and I look down from Mount Zion every morning, and I see the 
flapping tent down there. I think it rained the night before. And David said, last night I heard the pitty-patter of the rain on my palace. And I thought of the ark. I want to build God a house. God gave him credit for it, by the way. And Nathan said unto David, Do all that's in thine heart, for God's with thee. But God had to get him straightened out. It came to pass the same night where the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant, Thus saith the Lord, Thou shalt not build me a house to dwell in, for I have not dwelt in a house since the day that I brought up Israel unto this day, but have gone from tent to tent, from tabernacle to tabernacle. God always identifies himself with his people, and that's the reason that he took upon himself our humanity, friends. He's always identified himself with his people. Now, his people dwelt in tents, and God dwelt in tents with them. That's where he met them. Now, he said here, "...wheresoever I have walked with all Israel, spake I a word to any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to feed my people, saying, Why have ye not built me a house of cedar?" Now, when the people got in the land, built permanent homes, there was no permanent temple built, you see. Now, God says, I didn't say to them, why don't you do this? But you see, this was in David's heart. Now, God says to Nathan, you go tell David this. Now, therefore, thus shalt thou say unto my servant David, thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat, even from following the sheep, that thou shouldst be ruler over my people Israel. He said to David, I want you to never forget your humble beginning, where I went down and picked you up, a little shepherd boy, to make you king over my people. And now verse 8, And I have been with thee whithersoever thou hast walked. I have cut off all thine enemies from before thee, and have made thee a name like the name of the great men that are in the earth. David today is one of the great men of this earth, by the way. Verse 9, Also I will ordain a place for my people Israel. I'll plant them, they shall dwell in their place, and shall be moved no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness waste them any more as at the beginning. In other words, God says the day will come, I'll put them in that land, they will have peace. They will turn to me in that day. They haven't today. No one could make that statement because they're very far from him. There's quite a division in Israel today whether they even should follow the orthodox viewpoint at all. Verse 10, And since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, moreover I will subdue all thine enemies. Furthermore, I tell thee that the Lord will build thee a house. And isn't that just like our God? David says, I want to build God a house. God says, David, you can't do it. You're a bloody man. I can't let you build it, but I'm going to build you a house. I give you credit for it. It is in his heart to build God a house. Now God says, I'm going to build you a house. Now listen to what the Lord emphasizes here. And it shall come to pass when thy days be expired, that thou must go to be with thy fathers, that I'll raise up thy seed after thee, which shall be of thy sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house. I will establish his throne forever. Who is that? We'll open the New Testament, the very first verse the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The two great covenants that God made are to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Listen to him now. I will be his father. He shall be my son. I'll not take my mercy away from him as I took it from him that was before thee, but I will settle him in mine house, in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. God means that. God will build a kingdom on this earth. Jesus Christ is coming to establish that kingdom on the earth. According to all these words, according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. Now, God thought this was important. This is the second time we've had it. Had it in Second Samuel 7. God comes back now and lets you know what he considers important. Now, notice the reaction of David. Verse 16, and David the king came and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what's mine house that thou hast brought me hitherto? David says, I just don't understand your goodness and your grace and mercy. And may I say, here is one this morning that can say the same thing. Why has God been so good to me? 
Why has God been so good to you, my friend? The mercy. He's not short on mercy, is he? Our God is not. Oh, to come to him and to have business with him and have a personal relationship with him and to have a communication with him because we have a communication from him. This is his word. And David goes on here. What can David speak? Verse 18, more to thee for the honor of thy servant. For thou knowest thy servant. David knew he was just a sinner. And God did this for him. And then David goes over. We've been over this before of what God had done for him. O Lord, there's none like thee. Neither is there any God beside thee, according to all that we've heard with our ears. And what one nation in the earth is like thy people Israel. Verse 25, For thou, O my God, hast told thy servant that thou wilt build him a house. Therefore thy servant hath found in his heart to pray before thee. And now, Lord, thou art God, and hast promised his goodness unto thy servant. Now therefore let it please thee to bless the house of thy servant, that it may be before thee forever. For thou blessest, O Lord, and it shall be blessed forever. O my friend today, come to God and get in his presence. 